Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your living and abiding word that is transforming. The law of the Lord is perfect, making wise the simple, the testimonies of the Lord are sure, enlightening the eyes. Oh Lord, I pray that you would enlighten us and transform us. And our goal in life is nothing less than to be conformed to your image. So any part of us that's not conformed, I pray we'd surrender that to you more each day. In Jesus' name, amen. And here we go. Uh, we're on hour four. And uh, here we go. Starts a review. How long does it take to read the Bible? Okay, you're going to see that tomorrow. Uh, next is the outline. And, and I want you to think about the you know the progression the whole book of revelation is best understood if you see it as starting and going to a conclusion not jumping all over the place so chapter 1 he's on patmos seeing the lord resurrected and glorified then in 2 and 3 jesus takes him on a tour of the churches then we get transported when heaven opens and he says the lord says come up hither he goes he sees the scene around the throne in 4 and 5 he sees the tribulation unfolding from 6 to 18. He sees Jesus returning, uh, riding the white horse with all the armies of heaven behind him. Can you imagine that? It says in um, Matthew 25, when a son of man, shall, when Jesus was, you know, getting ready, uh, going toward the cross, he says, when the Son of Man shall come in his glory with all his holy angels. It's the only time they empty heaven. All of them come behind Christ at his uh, second coming. Now, think about that for a moment. How many angels are there? When Daniel saw them, he said that there were myriads of myriads. A myriad in ancient language was 10,000. They thought that was a lot. So 10,000 times 10,000 would be hundreds of millions. And then after that, he says, myriads of myriads, and thousands and thousands and so it's like millions and billions of angels can you imagine how much space that takes to have them all coming jesus at the front and them fanning out behind them that's what the second coming of christ is like and when that takes place do you remember everybody tries to get in the ditches and crawl in the pipes they hide in the caves then after that he sets up the millennial kingdom uh the millennial kingdom we'll talk about this ends uh with the rebellion, the great white throne judgment, and then the eternal state. So if you lump four, five, and six together, it would be from the millennium to heaven. You know, if someone said, what's 20 to 22 about? Now this one, uh, they do a uh, statistical analysis of your uh, grades on quizzes and tests for me. And this one, I guess some of, I didn't say clearly in years past. The purpose of Revelation is what? in the very first book of, verse of the book. What's the first verse of Revelation? Anybody have your Bible? What does it say in verse 1? The of... Yeah, Revelation, the Greek word is apocalypsis, and it means to be unveiled. It's kind of like uh, they just had the auto show in Detroit, I think it was, and Ford is making a new car, I think it's called the GT, that cost $400,000, and they covered it up with a sheet, you know, like a tarp, a $400,000 car with a tarp over it. And then when everybody was ready, you've seen what they do. They go like that, you know, and pull the sheet off. And all of a sudden, for the first time, it's seen. That's what Revelation is. It's pulling the covering to see Jesus Christ. In fact, the, 
I think that's why the devil causes so many people to not be interested in Revelation and never teach on it, because it is the clearest and most complete portrait of Christ in the whole Bible. Did you know that? There are more elements of Christ's character and the revelation of his work toward us and in us in Revelation anywhere else. And so that's what it's about. So you'll see something like, what's the theme, the purpose, uh, or whatever of Revelation. It's to unveil Christ, to reveal Christ, uh, like right there is reveal Christ. Okay, um, the Apostle John wrote five books totaling how many chapters? Fifty. Uh, covered that early this morning when you were still not really realizing what was happening to you. The theme or purpose of Revelation is to reveal Christ. Uh, worship is the submission of our whole nature to whom? Yeah, who are we supposed to submit to? So five of you got that. That is really good. And how many hours? 72. Revelation 1 is what John saw in Patmos. 2 and 3 are the churches, uh, the things which are. 4 to 22, the things which shall be. Uh, Revelation 19 is the the fan, billions of angels behind him on the horse. What's 19 about? The second coming of Christ, yeah. 19 is the second coming of Christ. He has to come back at the end of the tribulation before he sets up the millennium. The tribulation is 6 through 18. Uh, don't, don't learn them in order because they uh, alter the order on every exam. And then 20 to 22, that's that same idea. It goes from the millennium, 20, to heaven, 21, 22. So there are all the answers. I'll just put them down for you. Uh, right there, let me just get them all for you. John, the apostle, the last living apostle, wrote five books. What are they? Gospel by John, 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, Revelation. How many books did John write? And the totality of those, if you remember how many chapters are in the different books of the Bible, comes to 50. Purpose of book is to unveil or reveal Christ. Worship is submission of all of me to God. You know what's so interesting in America? You know what most people think worship is? Music. And they rate churches. They say, well, the worship's not very good there. Or the worship's really good there. What are they talking about? Music. What's God talking about? The submission of all that I am to God. And that is true worship. That's why Paul said in Romans 12, I beseech you to present yourselves a living sacrifice, which is your spiritual act of worship. It's actually amazingly said in Romans 12. Um, and then how many hours? 72. Revelation 1 is John seeing Christ on Patmos. 2 and 3 is the things that are. In other words, it was the tour Jesus gave of the church. Did you know when, when uh, John saw Jesus, it said he was dressed in that outfit, if you remember it, in Revelation 1 from whenever you took it last or read it. And he was wearing this long priest outfit. And for us, that doesn't, it's just kind of like, uh-huh, that's kind of funny. Do you know what the priests were in the Old Testament? They were the health inspectors. They were the ones that if you had sickness, scab, scaling, running cut, leprosy, whatever, or your house had mold, if you read Leviticus, most people don't like Leviticus, but if you read Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers, the priests are the health inspectors. They're the ones that determined which animals were healthy and which ones were unblemished for the sacrifice. They were also the ones that helped the people not get sick. You understand there were 600,000 families camping together. The Exodus, there were 603,000 families. That means moms, dads, and children. 
And if you know anything about Jewish people, they have a lot of children. Not modern ones, not the rich ones, but normal Jews are like Joseph and Mary. Jesus had four brothers and at least two sisters. So Jesus growing up with Joseph and Mary, Joseph and Mary had at least, besides Mary having Jesus, they had at least six other kids. That's normal. David was from a family of of seven or eight, depending on how you read 1 Samuel 16. And so they had big families, but if they only had three kids coming out of Egypt, the Exodus was three million people. 603,000 times five is three million people. How do you keep people living in tents close to each other from getting typhoid? You have health inspectors that say, uh, you've got to dig a little latrine over there. You don't just do whatever you do all over the camp or we'll all get sick. The priests were like that. You say, why are you telling us all that? Because when Jesus came in Revelation 2 and 3 dressed like that, he was checking the health of the church. And he took the pulse and the vitals of the churches. And only one church was healthy. Uh, the church in Smyrna was suffering and almost near you know, extinction. And he doesn't condemn them. But the only church he commends is the church at Philadelphia. So there were seven churches, two are okay, and five are horrible. And he, that's what he's doing in 2 and 3. You already covered that. 4 to 22 are the future things, Christ's return, the tribulation, the millennium. Okay, now, uh, page uh, 73 in your notes. And what we're going to do this evening is starting in uh, this incredible section of, of Revelation chapter 12. And Revelation 12, I call it space invaders. And in your notes, you have to put down, uh, uh, keep Christ's perspective. But, um, uh, well, you can look. Look at what it says on page 73. Above the soft blue of our blue-green planet, there are hostile forces poised. They range across space, lurking and flying about their master's bidding. They are former angels. They are Satan, the dragon's army. They are deadly, vile, malignant, and very intelligent. By the way, do you know what the word demon? You've all heard the word demon. In Greek, what does it mean? Look down in your notes. What does it mean? Intelligence. Think of what a demon is. It's a supernatural being that's not bounded by physical barriers. Demons are not kept out by locks or titanium doors or glass. They can penetrate anything because they're spirit beings. They're not Physical barriers don't bother them. Also, they're thousands of years old. Do you know how smart you're getting and you're only 18, 19, 20, 20-some? Can you imagine being 2,900 years old or 4,900 years old or 6,000 years old and always learning and listening? Demons are everywhere. Uh, You talk about NSA snooping and, and everything else. They are everywhere. I mean, they're not omnipresent. There's so many of them. They're all over the place. They can hear everything. That's why fortune tellers make a fortune because fortune tellers, witches, warlocks, people involved in the occult are communicating with the demon world and the demon world, they can travel effortlessly anywhere. They can be listening in the Kremlin, go to the Pentagon and and be up in the space shuttle. They just can be anywhere because they're spirit beings. And they're very powerful. I I talked about that uh, two hours ago. And so think about that, because that's what chapter 12 is about. And if you look on page 74 at the top in your notes, we have victory in Jesus because God is faithful. This whole chapter starts out actually in chapter 11, verse 19. You say, "How, how does chapter 12 start in chapter 11, verse 19? Well, let me ask you, how did the chapters get into the Bible? 
the chapters were put in the Bible by the, by the Archbishop of Canterbury. His name was Bishop Langton, and he didn't do it until the 12th century. There were no chapter divisions in your Bible or mine until the 12th century. It was just like a roll of paper towel, just a continuous record. But he, the Church of England, was trying to teach people to read the Bible in their families. He was a big on home devotions. So he took it upon himself to divide the whole Bible into 1,189 chapters. And we still have them. But he did most of his work on horseback. That's how they traveled. They didn't have cars. So he's got his manuscript and he's got his, his whatever he was marking with his pen. And some of them, I think, were just uh, the horse, you know, kind of, went into a little ditch, and he just made a mark because he cut chapter 12 in the wrong place. And there are many chapters. If you read the Bible very much, you notice that, that actually in the modern versions, they, they actually put the paragraphs together, and many paragraphs are bisected by a chapter number. And, and that, there's nothing bad or good about it. It's just an artificial addition to the Bible or the chapters. That's why I always chuckle when people say, oh, isn't it amazing how God inspired that Malachi 3.16 says the same thing as John 3.16? You know, a, a, a wonderful expression of love. And I say, yeah, it's, that's an amazing statistical coincidence. Because the chapters came in the 12th century. When did the verses come in? The 16th century. Robert Estienne was a, a printer. He lived in Geneva. And in the Reformation, they were using Gutenberg's 1453 printing press and when you typeset stuff, it wasn't you it was a chapter, it was too big, they needed smaller pieces, so SDN cut each chapter into verses. And so that's why a lot of these span. So from eleven nineteen in your notes to twelve six, Jesus uh gives us victory because God is faithful and it's the whole picture of the temple and the Ark of the Covenant. Chapter twelve, verse seven onwards is about Satan, and we're gonna talk about that, and then the suffering of the saints. Um on page seventy four the first element is we have victory in Jesus. Um, and basically, if you look on page 74 at the bottom and top of 75 in your notes, two lines run through history of mankind in every event, and they conclude in the culmination of history. And then about a paragraph or two down, it says, there is the serpent seed and Christ seed. The line of Christ begins with Adam, passes by Golgotha, and leads to heaven. The line of the Antichrist begins with Cain, how do I know that? It says it in 1 John 3. Did you know there's only one person mentioned in the, in the whole epistle that John wrote called 1 John? Only one person is mentioned in 1 John. Cain. Now that's significant. Why would a guy from chapter 3 and 4 of Genesis be in 1 John? Because Cain is the prototype of the rebels. There were two sons, Cain and Abel. God revealed the same thing to both of them. And one of them rejected God flat out and refused him. And the other one totally embraced what God said. Two boys grown up in the same family. Grown up in sight of the Garden of Eden. Growing up their whole life, if you study Genesis, with the cherubim. Remember those four-faced, six-winged creatures that are so amazing? Guarding the way to the tree of life. So they had no doubt this was all true. They saw flaming, glowing spirit beings that were guardians. And one of them believed it and the other didn't. And you know what's interesting about that? That's what it's like in Christian homes. Just being in a Christian home does not make a promise that you are going to embrace Christ. 
Adam and Eve saw one son rebel, and Cain, right here, is the prototype of the Antichrist. It goes by the Tower of Babel, leads to the Lake of Fire. There's only two families, gods and Satan's. Well, by the way, why? In chapter 12, if you read it and as you read it, and by the way, here's another key for you, 20 points of the 100 for this class are whether or not you read pages 49 to 164. You caught that, right? Did you know if you just sit here while I'm talking and track with me, you're actually doing that? Have you all noticed that? That's why I keep saying page da-da-da, page da-da-da, so you keep tracking with me. You can actually kill two birds with one stone just by tracking with me through your notes and, uh, and highlighting. Um, you guys use Logos, don't you? You know the highlight command B or highlight Y, you know, underlines and colors? Isn't that fun? I just love that. Uh, if you've programmed them in. Okay, so why on page 75 are the two stone ta- tablets in the Ark of the Covenant? Why is it that those are in there? Because the law speaks of God's unbreakable rules. Now think about this. If God is immutable, in the Old Testament, if something was an abomination to him and he doesn't change, is that something still an abomination to him in the New Testament? Yes or no? Let me ask that again. If in the Old Testament, the infinite eternal God who is immutable and doesn't change said something is an abomination to me, would he still think it's an abomination in the New Testament? Yes. Have you ever thought about that? That answers the homosexual question, doesn't it? Have you ever heard people say, well, that's in the Old Testament. That's in Leviticus. That's the Jews. No, it's not. Who wrote Leviticus? Have you thought who wrote it? That book is almost dictated. Moses wrote very little of it. He recorded what God said. The book of Leviticus says more than any other book in the Bible the same little phrase. You know what it is? Didn't you just cover Leviticus a while back? Do you know what the Lord, I'm sure your teacher told you this, and the Lord said, 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 and the Lord said. said. It's one of the most verbatim records of God's will. Now, it's God's will, the dietary part for Israel. You learned all this. I'm not even going to go into that. But you learned it whenever you learned it. The two stone tablets declare that our God is unceasingly holy and demands certain things for his character. Also, Aaron's rod, do you remember they put the rod in to show who the chosen one was? That shows that God picked um, you know, the, the one that salvation would come through, Christ. And the pot of manna is a prediction of Christ being the bread of life. On page 76, I talk about the Ark of the Covenant, the Ark of the Testimony. Those are bullet points, the Ark of God. Uh, then we get in chapter 12 to God's amazing plan. And what's interesting is, if, if you look at chapter 12, 1 and 2, it says, Now a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a garland of twelve stars, and being with child, she cried in labor and gave in pain to give birth. And you go, what is a woman with sun and stars? What is this? That's the same thing that, if you remember, Joseph saw. Do you remember when Joseph had this vision and said, I see mom with the sun and the stars and all of you bowing down to me, and they didn't like it and they put him in the pit? This is the same picture, and it's a picture of Israel. Uh, And you can see on page 77, just a unique thing. Uh, All the times in Revelation it says God opens something. 
He opens the door of worship when he says, come up here, and he opened heaven. He opens the seals on page 77 in chapter 6. He's the one that opens that pit of doom. It's somewhere in the Middle East around the Euphrates River. Isn't it interesting? That's where ISIS is. And somewhere there is the outlet for the pit that holds all those demons. I think that's fascinating that where all the problems in the world are coming from is where all those demons are. Uh, in chapter 11, 19, God opens the temple in heaven. Number 5, God opens the tabernacle of his testimony in chapter 15. We're coming to that. God opens the gates when Jesus comes out and the books. Okay, what are those signs? If you look down, the first sign is a woman clothed with sun and uh, moon under her feet. The second sign is on page 78, the fiery red dragon. It's in chapter 12 that we find the key that connects together everything. People say, I thought Eve was tempted by a snake, a serpent. Yeah, but it says right here in Revelation 12 that the serpent, the dragon is the serpent, and he is Satan who is the devil. So the serpent of Genesis 3 is Satan, Lucifer of Ezekiel 14 and Isaiah 28, who becomes the devil that tempts Christ, who is this great dragon. And God connects all that together, which brings us to this. Do you understand Satan's origin? That's, that's vital to know about. And on page uh, 78, it says, under Satan's origin and activity, where you're writing in the word origin, if you look right below that, where did the devil come from? Any of you that are going to be teaching the Bible in the future, for the rest of your life, two chapters are vital. Isaiah 14, Ezekiel 28. They're right there in the text. Those are the two passages that explain the second paragraph. When Satan fell from heaven, it appears he took a third of the angels to the earth. That's in Revelation 12:4. What is he doing now? Well, it says he's blinding people's minds. I mean, have you ever shared the gospel with someone and they looked at you blankly? And they don't even understand it. Satan's current ministry or job or what he likes to do is blinding people to the gospel. And, and what also he does is as soon as they hear something, he, he tries to get it out of their mind as quick as possible by pushing something else in to distract them. That's his activity right now. Um, what can Satan do uh, on page 78 at the end and right at the beginning of page 79? Satan is powerful, but he can only do what God allows. We saw that in Job. Did you know in Job, do you remember Job? Yes? He had all those children, and they all got killed. How did Job's children get killed? A tornado. You all have read that, right? A fierce storm blew in to their house from the wilderness and collapsed their house, and they died. Who sent the storm? Satan. Did you know Satan? Who sent the storm when Jesus was sleeping in the boat? Remember, Jesus was asleep in the boat. And all of a sudden, for the first time in their lives, those men saw the Sea of Galilee boiling. The, the word is like hot tubbing. It just was, the, the, whole, the whole sea was, was like in a jacuzzi. And the boat was sinking, and Jesus was sound asleep. And they knew that that was not a normal storm. See, Satan in the Bible is called the prince of of the power of the what? Yeah. Satan has the power to cause storms on the earth. Satan has the power to cause groups of people to become murderous. In, in Job, Job's one of the most 
important understandings of spiritual warfare because he faced it. The Sabaeans, that 